Here is Esti Perki, international writing expert, author and life coach. And I'm so excited to have Angela Hosking with me. She's an American women's empowerment and leadership speaker, author, coach and the owner of Her One Tribe. She wrote the inspiring book called Woman on Top, Lead Like a Lady Boss. And she created the Superwoman Detox Academy, a six-week group coaching course that helps high-achieving women drop their superwoman cape and get balanced. Using her self-development personal empowerment framework as her cornerstone content, Angela educates and inspires national and international female audiences to unlock their confidence barriers and diminish their imposter syndrome thinking. Welcome, dear Angela. I'm so happy to have you here. Well, thank you, Esther. It's so great to be here and to talk with you again. So, Angela, what has been your big turning point in life? Well, for me, I think I was living a life that many women live. Um, I was taking care of two young children, and I had a career as a nurse in the hospital. Um, I also had aging parents and a husband and a community. And like many women, I was living my life for many other people and never saying no. I was working the night shift on the weekends in the hospital. I wasn't sleeping. I was using my week during my week to take care of my children and running them back and forth. And, you know, like many of us women trying to do too many things. And I woke up a few days before my 40th birthday, which seems kind of ironic now uh, that it was right before I was turning 40, but I woke up with a strange numbness and tingling in my left hand. And I wasn't quite sure what it was, but as a busy nurse and a mom and a worker, I just went to work and ignored it. But within seven days, um, that feeling had spread throughout my body and I was unable to walk straight. I had been attacked by some kind of a virus um, at the time they were unsure of what it was that had attacked my neurological system. And suddenly this nurse became the patient. And it was weeks and weeks of being in and out of the hospital, spinal taps, tests, all kinds of things, and feeling absolutely frightened that my life as I thought I was living it was going to change and I was no longer going to be a healthy mom and a healthy nurse. For me, that was a, a big wake up call because at the end of the day, when they figured out what had happened, my immune system was in a very, very bad place. And because I had not been taking care of myself, the virus that I contracted, my immune system basically was attacking my body. I had made myself sick. And for me, that began a journey into understanding a little bit more about the mindset and the thoughts that led me down that path and how I could find balance and joy and maybe start something new in a different life. What was the first thing you did when you were in bed, lying, not being able to do anything? Well, at that time, when you're in healthcare, when you're a nurse, you try to self-diagnose, right? So I was on the internet 24-7 trying to figure out what was going on uh, because a team of doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. And that just is also another trait of mine is just to sort of try to take over everything. But honestly, I, I was very vulnerable at that time. And I, I was very, very depressed and, and worried and felt very much um, out of control. And so uh, the only thing that I could control at that time was just taking care of myself. 
And I began to read a lot of books about healing and understanding how to heal um, the mind and the body and really began to take it day by day by doing the things that I knew I should be doing in the first place that we all sort of put on the back burner. But that is number one, sleep. I hadn't slept properly in five years by working the night shift. So for me, the things that became absolute must-haves were eight hours of sleep every night, eating healthy foods, drinking water, getting into the sunshine, getting into nature, and doing things to quiet my mind. I started journaling. I started meditating and really just beginning to that healing process. And in part of that process, I read a book called The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. And in that story, she speaks of her year-long project to find joy and happiness and fulfillment. And that led me down a path of seeking something, an outlet that would bring me fulfillment and joy. And that became my blog. I started writing for the first time in a very long time um, as someone who had always wanted to be an author or a writer. And I began writing about things that were important to me, which were women at work and leadership and how we could take care of each other. And I found my voice and that led me down a whole nother path, which today is my company, Her One Tribe, my book that I've written, my uh, group coaching, Superwoman Detox Academy, which is basically <laughs> what I did to um, unlearn the habits myself that had landed me there. And, um, you know, in a way, you know, people have asked me what I would I want to go back and change that illness. And I would say no, because it, it woke me up to, you know, what I was doing not only, you know, even if you don't become sick, it wasn't, I wasn't living a life of fulfillment and balance. I was living my life for the others in my life or what I thought they wanted. How many years ago was that? That was 14 years ago. And I will have to say that, um, you know, it, it really, the first five years was more about self-care and taking care of me and figuring out what I was going to do. But the last seven years has been this evolution of how then can I help other women not Uh, reach the point of that utter exhaustion and, and self, um, you know, self sickness that I had reached and maybe catch them a, a year or two before that happens. And um, it's been very, very fulfilling for me. Have you read about other women who had similar stories? Yes, I have. And in fact, um, so I created an online community called Her One Tribe. And I've been researching um, as a nurse, and my background is in science and, and healthcare. Um, I've been researching burnout and um, also a syndrome called superwoman syndrome, which was coined back in the 80s. And basically, that is it's compiling the societal constructs that have created this um, bubble that women are supposed to be all the things for all the people, and uh, to be you know take care of self is is selfish. And, um, you know, we have to be the perfect wife, mother, you know, bring home um, a paycheck and have a career. And it's just not, it's just not sustainable. And I think with um, the pandemic, we have seen an utter crash of women in careers who suddenly found themselves trying to straddle the work responsibilities and the home responsibilities in such a new way. And, you know, they, they've called this recession, this, the she session because many, many women have just had to step away from bringing home the money and going back to that societal construct of, of being the caretaker. And you know that's really set women back so many, many years rather than addressing the problem, which is our mindset and our understanding of who we are in this world, and then tackling that with our partners 
to ensure that everyone is raising the village, right? Raising the children mm. and raising, raising our community. And that's not just falling. The burden is not just falling upon women. Mm. I'm sure many women resonate with your story and this, all these other stories which are happening now. What would you recommend? How can one start? What's the most important step? So I think the most important step, what I hear most often from my coaching clients and the women in Superwoman Detox Academy is the belief of where is the time? You know, I don't have time to take care of me. And what we do in the six-week course is basically begin with understanding where those beliefs came from and what does their life and balance look like. And oftentimes when we sort of step back and assess where we're spending our time and how we're spending our time, there are opportunities to say no where we don't think we can say no or we feel guilty to say no. And so what I start with is just a very simple examining of the calendar and a 15-minute introduction of self-care in the morning. So um, in fact, I'm running a challenge right now in my group for five days. And for day one, all we're doing are these little micro self-care activities. And I gave them a choice of 10 to choose those that resonated with them. But you don't have to get up two hours before the rest of your family to find time for you. 15 minutes of a routine and a habit that you start with, perhaps it's five minutes of some self-reflective journaling, five minutes of deep breath work, and maybe five minutes of setting an intention for the day helps you to feel more centered and start your morning not on fire, right? Checking your email, checking your phone, uh, responding to others' needs and, and establishing um, that sort of centered calmness and the emotional mindset to then look at your day in a more objective way and not lead with an emotional response. That's a great recommendation. But now 15 minutes a day, it's not much. And the day is long and women have so much to do. What do you recommend then? Sure, sure. And so through, throughout the detox, what we end up doing is a multiple of things, but another easy win that I can tell your listeners um, where when we start to look for some balance time is um, oftentimes I have found about 95% of women work through their, their lunchtime. So, you know, I'm eating my, my lunch and I'm answering emails or I'm eating my lunch and I'm responding are working on a project rather than taking a break and, and really truly just taking that lunch 30 minutes. I don't know in all different countries what the tradition is in America. It's generally 30 minutes to an hour, but maybe eating your lunch without looking at social media or your phone and breathing and being mindful of the food and the nourishment. And then maybe you take a 10 minute walk outside um, or get up from your desk and do some stretches, or you listen to an audio book or a podcast that is inspirational. It's allowing the brain some rest and to get away from the intensity of focused work. And even just a, 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 you know taking that kind of a break is the, the next step to finding some of that time. There's a lot of unlearning that has to happen. And that begins with, I have um, six weeks of focused quizzes and checklists and self-assessments to really understand the root of how you got here in the first place. And so whether it's a people-pleasing mindset 
or whether it's a perfectionistic uh, ideology or whether you've never learned to delegate or to say no, or you need some, some you know, tips on how to do that, we walk through those processes. Because as you mentioned, it's not just a question of finding a few minutes here or a few minutes there. It's understanding and un unlocking and changing the belief system that you've probably created over your entire lifetime. Well, most of the time it starts as a child, as a girl. Correct, correct. I, I talk a little bit about, so I teach about the good girl paradox. And from the moment, uh, you know, that the doctor announces it's a girl, our parents and our society have already created our lives for us. Um, we're taught to be ambitious, but not show ambition. We're taught to sit at the front of the class and be good students and be quiet and uh, be caretakers and um, you know not make too much noise and 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 so those those belief systems of about what it means to be a good girl often lend itself to what I call the four disempowering thinking patterns that we women tend to have and that's perfectionistic thinking it's imposter syndrome you know I'm not enough I'm not worthy enough um, it's overvaluing experience it's believing that. You know, I don't have enough um, to be able to, to take on that project. And then oftentimes it's that inner critic voice that we hear that um, has been, you know, record playing over and over in our lives that don't, you know, put yourself last and take care of others first. And really what I know now and what I knew then are two totally different things. And it is true, you know, you use the metaphor in the airplane when the oxygen mask comes down in order to care for and take care of your children and your family, you've got to be able to breathe first and put that oxygen on first. Let's go back to your own story, Angela. How was your childhood? How did it all start? Um, I was the third child. I was, I say I was the uh-oh, because there are nine years between my sister and myself and 14 years between my brother and myself. I was a happy surprise, my parents say. And I was always um, very much a learner and a creative thinker and very rewarded for good grades and very re rewarded for achievement. And um, I think as the last child, I really grew up more as like the only child because my siblings were out of the house and it was myself and my aging parents. And so I think in many ways, I learned to be that caretaker for them. I was definitely their, their source of pride and joy. And I learned a lot of external validation. I was always seeking that praise. And I think that, you know, rolled itself into my educational career. And that's wonderful, you know, to have that validation. But I think I learned, like many women, I didn't learn to have that self-validation. What was important to me and what did I want to accomplish? I was doing it for my parents. I was doing it for my community. I was doing it for my teachers. And so later in life, learning how to really turn off those voices of what I think other people want me to do or want me to be and really find the value in what fills my joy bucket is so rewarding. And it really does turn down those voices of what I think are voices of judgment or voices of disapproval or different opinions. And I think that's what we women get caught up in oftentimes is pleasing all the others. And the truth of the matter is, you will be judged <laughs> no matter what you do. And sometimes that judgment will feel good and sometimes it will not. 
But at the end of the day, if you are uh, resonating with your own true self and your own core values and your own beliefs, it, it just doesn't matter. And um, I have found more balance in my life now than I have ever had. And I'm probably a lot busier than I ever have been. And so if that sounds like that's not possible, it is. And I'm here to say that it is, it can be learned. It's a learned skill. Mm. And did you choose to become a nurse and you didn't do the writing thing you wanted to do first? Was it because you wanted to help others, please others? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, it's interesting. I, my first degree was in English and I was going to be a writer. And oftentimes we then, you know, get out into the world and we're like, well, this is not tremendously practical. And I had such an interest in science and health. And my husband was actually the one that was like, do, do you want to go back to school? And I was like, yeah, I think I do. And I so loved, I knew that caring for others and connecting with others and teaching, you know, so much of nursing is teaching your patients um, was so fulfilling. And I absolutely, I took care of cancer patients. Um, so fulfilling for me. And so I think, you know, going back to that whole uh, notion of knowing what you want to do in your life when you're young, sometimes you have to have life experience. Um, but my first book was all about leading my, my team in the healthcare field, growing as a leader. And so I tell people I had to live the experience to know what it was I wanted to write about, but that everything comes full circle. And now I'm, I'm so fulfilled combining the two things as, an, as a nursing leader. I, I grew my career as a, as a director in healthcare. So, you know, taking that experience and having a story to tell. And, you know, now pivoting, I'm open, wide open into sharing the truth of, of the superwoman detox, because that is really what got me here. And it's difficult to grow and help women leaders if they're stuck in the place of feeling overwhelmed and not having the confidence. Um, and so I kind of had to peel back those onion layers and go down to the root of what they needed. And it's really what I needed. And so it's been an evolution in, in the life cycle of the second part of my career. Tell me, Angela, how was it to write your book? Sure. So I wrote Woman on Top, Lead Like a Lady Boss because I was angry. Whenever I went to the leadership aisle in the bookstore, all I saw were books written by men. And I knew that what I brought to the table as a woman leader had a lot of different elements. Um, it had a lot of the connectivity and the communication skills. It had a lot of the inspiration and the collegiality and bringing the team together to, to find their inspiration and focus. And so um, when I was leading, the first team I took over were about 100 people in an inpatient nursing unit, 36 beds, 24-7 operations. And it was, I, I jokingly laugh, it was like the Lord of the Flies. It was a very dysfunctional team. They were quite a few number of bullies that were working on that team. It was not a healthy work environment. And we had about a 30% vacancy. And so, you know, I walked in super sunshiny, Angela, here I am to save the day. And they weren't having it. <laughs> they were not ready to accept me as their leader. And so I cut my teeth on that team. I learned and understood really what it took to gain trust, build that trust, to get rid of the dysfunction, what was not working, and to draw and attract top talent who wanted to stay. And so my book talks about those lessons and all those mistakes that I learned over that first year or two. And I really wanted a tactical guide. I wrote what I wanted to read at the time. I wanted someone to walk me through how do you do this? And what are some ideas to engage my team? 
And um, so it's very tactical. I've got newbie ideas and tactical tips on every chapter and a mistake in every chapter um, because I felt like, you know, that would have made me feel better to see that it's not as easy as people make it seem. And um, so I wrote what I wanted to read. And I, I encourage all women who are writing and want to write, we need women's voices. We need women's experiences. You know, it, in the publishing industry, it's so dominated by men and we need to flip that upside down. It needs to be equally diverse because we have something to share. Thank you. That's great that you say that. Did you have a role model, a female role model? I have many female role models and I laugh at that because many of them don't even know they've been my role model. <laughs> um, so I have many women that I admire um, here in the, the US. Oprah Winfrey was one, you know, I grew up watching Oprah. I was in college when she started her show and, you know, every day at four o'clock, she was, she was sort of that mentor. I was raised by very traditional parents and my mother stayed home. And so I was looking for a, a woman who had grown a career and was a great community communicator and made change. And so she was one. Um, Brene Brown serves as a, an amazing role model. You know, I self-published my book and I don't know if many people know this, but Brene Brown self-published her first book. Academia was not ready to embrace a book written by an academic who, you know, did shame studies and talked about what it meant to be vulnerable. And so I love that she sold that first book out of her car because she her, her trunk, she tells the story, she sold it out of the trunk of her car because she felt that it was a, a story that needed to be told. So I think that those are two women. I also had a, a woman leader in my healthcare industry who really began tapping me on the shoulder after my healthcare crisis to say, you are a voice for women and women leaders. You really need to grow in leadership. This is where your talent lies. And you can take caring for you know, five patients and you can grow and develop a team and you can impact many, many more patients by growing and developing other people to care for them the way that you do. Um, and so I found value in that as well too and making that impact. Great. Can you give three, maybe three sentences you want to dedicate to us women to overcome our imposter syndromes? Sure, sure. Imposter syndrome is, if you look up the definition, it is, it is feeling inadequate despite evidence otherwise. I laughingly say, if you look at my, my background, I have two undergraduate degrees, two master's degrees, two certifications. And yet at some point, I never felt like I was enough to sit at the table. You know, the first thing you do is you look for the facts and you say to yourself, when you're feeling like an imposter in a situation, you know, have I had some experience with this? Am I doing something that is growing and developing myself? And we are all novices at some point or other. Are you examining your place right now with somebody else's 20 years of experience? And that's just not realistic. So I would say, check the facts, number one. And number two, I would tell you, to, I always tell people to name that inner mean girl, you know, that inner critic in your head. Um, mine's name is Meg. And whenever I hear Meg's voice, I know to question it because Meg often pops up when I'm feeling insecure or uncomfortable or in a new situation. And then the easiest way to build confidence is not to think you're way more confident. It's actually to do some action. So to try something that you it's a little bit risky, it's a little bit unsure of the outcome, 
um, but it's something that both excites you and maybe terrifies you a little bit. And so the more times that you do it, you're going to learn that you're not going to die, but you're going to learn each time that you do it. And that's going to build your confidence in creating that goal for yourself. So those would be the things I would say. Great. I love it. Where can people reach you, Angela? So they can reach me. My website is herontribe.com. Or if they're interested in finding more about Superwoman Detox Academy, it's superwomandetoxacademy.com. The next cohort will start in October. And I'm on Instagram. I love to be on Instagram daily with tips and tricks about how to build confidence. And I've got some free cheat sheets that you can download for yourself to start, you know, curing your imposter syndrome and build your confidence. And so they can find me at her one tribe on Instagram. Great. So one last word. I would say use your voice. Whatever story you have inside of you deserves to come out. You are worthy. And um, you've probably got some experiences that can help another woman. And my favorite thing to say is that we stand on the shoulders of the women that came before us, but we make sure that we reach back down and pull another woman up with us. So however you can uh, continue to grow, the legacy and the development of someone else will grow you as well. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Thank you for being here, Angela. Thank you for having me.